Hello. <laughs> Welcome to the box office show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. Today we're going to be talking about the box office numbers from last weekend and our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend. We'll also be giving our review of Birds of Prey and having a talk about female representation in film. Which is why I'm here. Hi, I'm Lillian Snyder. Welcome back to me. Thank you, Lillian, for joining us again a week later. Shining. All right, you guys ready? <laughs> I am very much ready. Let's get right into it. <laughs> All right. To begin with, we actually have some news. So, the Batman. They revealed a screen test that gave us the first look at Robert Pattinson in the costume. Pattinson. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, what did you think of that? I love it. I love the design. I mean, we can barely see it with the lighting, but a lot of mm -hmm. people have gone in and like trying to take out the red light just to show you what it looks like, and it looks good. It definitely looks amazing, and you were talking about the theme music, and oh, I dig it. it is it's so Michael good. Giacchino. Do you know who that is? Absolutely not, but I love him. He did Up. <laughs> really? <laughs> And a lot of the Pixar movies, Ratatouille, it's it's well, there you it's go. just good. Dude, a decade ago when Twilight was happening and Up happened, you never would have seen this coming. Never would have seen Batman. this coming. Batinson. His chest plate, too, like the, the Batman symbol on his chest is supposedly made from the gun that killed his parents. Ooh. Really? Ooh, yeah. Interesting. How'd you get that piece of fact? I don't know. I read it somewhere. Okay. So, I don't know if it's confirmed, but I read it somewhere. Where are your sources? It is doing? from a comic, like one of the comics. Did oh, that. okay. How are you supposed to? How is that supposed to come up? Like, how is that supposed to be introduced to the audience? Of like, hey guys, this chest plate made from the gun that killed my parents. How does that? How would that be worked in? Well, he says it just like that to everyone he meets all the time. Oh, of course. <laughs> I mean, he could, he could buy the gun from like something or get acquire the gun somehow because he's he's Bruce Wayne and he's wealthy oh, and, and then it just shows the it. montage of him making it because apparently that would be cool that would just like the season 4 opener of Game of Thrones when Tywin Lannister does that with the sword sure but like <laughs> you'd forgot that I, 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 <laughs> how dare you but anyway said I skipped the whole season 4 <laughs> no that's a good one yeah yeah but I mean <laughs> season 4 what you mean you crazy I, that's beside the point. We're not okay. we're not getting into Game of Thrones <laughs> Go anymore. Go listen to our Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones is in the past. But anyway, they um they said I think Matt Reeves said somewhere that um what was I going to say? Oh my god, I forgot what I was going to say. You're just thinking. About oh Game yeah, of that Bruce Wayne supposedly made this bat suit from scratch, so they could incorporate the scene of him melting the gun down, reforming oh. the metal, and then putting it into the chest piece. So that's a possibility. And that would be a very yeah, good looking scene. Be excited to see that. It'd be like the Mandalorian where he's like pounding on the metal and it flashes back to his parents getting shot. <gasps> no. That was not very good. It was the, the worst scene in the Mandalorian, yeah. yeah. It was terrible. So it might be the worst scene in the Batman, you never know. <laughs> in the Batman. It's called the Batman. I know, but I'm surprised that you used it. I mean, how else would we refer to the movie? Robert Pattinson's Batman. The Batman. Batman. Darn it, you're right. Okay, but as long as the suit doesn't have the nipples on it, I'm good. I think we're all good. I think they learned their lesson with that. I 
just don't know why that was necessary. I hope they bring it back. <gasps> Give it a retro look. Take that back. <laughs> retro. <laughs> yeah, the red light was cool, though. Hard to see, but cool. Cool for the trailer. And going on from that, we have the Aladdin sequel, which is officially in the works. They've been, like, speculating about it, but now they finally confirmed that it's going into production. We don't know. I mean, we'd imagine the cast is coming back. We don't know for sure. And we also don't have a uh, a release date yet. But how do you feel about this? Wait, is this the the 40 Thieves sequel or the Return of Jafar? Which one came first? I don't think they're basing it off of Return of Jafar. Oh. I think they're going with like new possibilities because they, I mean, I didn't see the <laughs> uh, live action Aladdin, but they changed some things. And so they're going to try and build off the world that they were sort of hinting at in there. Did you see it? I did not see it, but I would be down if they wanted to change things and like do a whole new storyline. I would be down for that because they kind of did that with the like the two animated sequels. It was just like, hey, what's another story we can tell that is set in this setting? And so they could totally like they could do that and it wouldn't I don't think it would hurt the universe any. I agree. I mean, I didn't see the first one, but it made a billion dollars. So I don't see why they wouldn't make a second one. Oh, you're right. That is true. So at least it won't be a remake, but it'll still be <laughs> built off the Disney live action remakes. In other news, The Hunt has been rescheduled for March 13th. And that's the movie where the liberals take the conservatives and then hunt them down. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's partially why it was pushed back. Yes. Well, yeah, because it was about to release when two mass shootings happened back to back. And and then also Trump had tweeted something about it where he's like, this is not good. And so the combined factors there, they said, let's shelve this for a while. And now they're going to yeah release it in March. And they have a tra- uh, trailer, a new trailer dropped. And they're also like playing up the angle that is such a controversial movie, even though no one's even seen it yet. Yeah, I think that's a good marketing strategy. I guess a little, <laughs> I don't know if it's very tasteful, but. I don't know if the movie's very tasteful. Like, well, I, I doubt it. But also, I'll be interested <laughs> to see if people actually go to see it. That's also true. It doesn't look like... I don't, it doesn't yeah, it doesn't seem, look very good. No, no, no. It doesn't seem very appealing. Yeah, so we'll, we'll keep you updated on that when it finally releases and hits theaters. And next, we have the Iron Mask trailer. Did you see this? Did you guys see this thing? No, it's, this is all on you, man. Because no one... Because <laughs> I only heard about it the other day. And only because it's the most absurd look. It's got Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jackie Chan. What and, a combo. And they're in a fantasy, like some crazy high fantasy type um, setting and on a ship. And they're trying to find the Dragon Pearl or something. It is the most bizarre. And it's coming out in April, which is no one's heard of it. And they just released the trailer. That's what I was thinking about the hunt, though. I haven't heard anything about that. And March 13th is soon. Yeah. So again, again, marketing plays a lot in getting people to go to theaters. Yikes. But I just think it's funny. And it's, I wonder what the budget would be on it. But it's apparently also a sequel. I'm very confused. A sequel to what? By the cho- that's what I'm saying. I'm very confused by the choices that were made by the, the actors and everyone involved. What's the Marvel, the Iron Fist? The Iron Hand? Iron Fist. Iron Fist, Iron yes. Fist? Okay. Not, not affiliated. No. <laughs> Also Iron not affiliated hand. with the man with the iron mask or something, which has oh. DiCaprio in it from the 90s yeah. or whatever. So not affiliated with that stuff. That's crazy. 
Anyway, are we going to get into our box office breakdown now? We definitely will. It's Okay, but look, do you see? He <laughs> <laughs> <You> pulled it up. <laughs> I pulled it up just so you can see Arnold Schwarzenegger's appearance in it. No, that's the it. man in the iron mask. No, this That's the iron that's the that man in the, the iron, iron mask. mask. That's the iron mask. That's the man in the iron mask. Those are two different things. Um, you think that is that definitely Arnold Schwarzenegger. Is in the same yes. world as that. Mm, debatable. Well, I mean, look at the cast. There's bro, no one that's in there. the iron mask official trailer, 2020. That's fake. Bro. Look, <laughs> this is the one. That's right what here. I'm saying. Jackie I was looking Chan. at the big picture, bro. Are you gonna play it? <laughs> um, is that I don't is that allowed? No. I'm sure. That's I we get we get the gist. But yeah, there you go. Wild. Wild. So look out for that in April. Anyway, who saw Sonic? I genuinely, I did not see Sonic. I didn't did see, see Sonic. Sonic? No. Did you see Sonic? Absolutely not. But a lot you of people Sonic did. Tonight? Sonic? Sonic? Uh-huh. <laughs> Sonic? <laughs> Get back to you on that. <laughs> Don't know about that one. But for the weekend of February 14th through the 16th, it was also President's Way weekend. President's so, Way. Yeah, President's Day weekend. So we'll be talking about the four-day uh, grosses that some of these films had, but the back-to-back Valentine's Day holiday with President's Day, Sonic cleaned up with it. Oh For the yeah, three-day it got fifty-seven million. <laughs> I did not like that one bit. Fifty-seven million, and for the four-day it got seventy million. Dylan, recall last week we said it might get thirty million, thirty-three, thirty-five. It got seventy million for the four-day. Yeah, yeah. I guess we were probably wrong. Yeah, I guess our prediction was a little bit off. Yeah. I mean, I'm willing to admit that. I don't think anyone saw this coming, though. Look, it's the highest video game opening of all time of a film adapted from a video game. It beat Detective Pikachu last year with 54 million for its opening. Sonic beat that. Dang. And Detective Pikachu came out in summer, right? We saw that in summer. So that was like primetime movie time. More primetime than Sonic's opening. So, yeah. Which is crazy. Could you imagine if Sonic could open in the summer when nobody's doing anything? No. Also, I feel like Pikachu Pokemon is more beloved than Sonic. I don't know. It genuinely must have been all the buzz about how bad it looked originally. I'm I'm telling you. Probably. I would not be surprised. Either way, they came through. Who would have thought? They really, I mean, moving the release date back and then somehow getting this weekend, which was like a prime time, the two holidays back to back. That was a very good decision on their part. Yeah. And so it shows that in some cases, if you listen to the outcry of your audience and change it, you will get rewarded. Cats. Cats is just bad already. Like, the musical's bad already. (laughs) What did you expect? The visual effects artists tried their best, okay? You can't make a human into a cat and have it be good. It just doesn't work. They tried their best. (laughs) They tried their best. (laughs) They did, yeah. Anyway, coming after Sonic the Hedgehog is Birds of Prey with 19 million, which gives it a domestic total of 61 million on a 97 million dollar budget. 97 plus advertising, which was probably like 30 or 40 million. Probably more than that. But I didn't see a lot of advertising, though. Which also plays into the issue of Mm -hmm. not enough people going. But yeah, if we'll talk about that later. Look there, Sonic in its four day. Has grossed more than Birds of Prey in its entirety of domestic run. Unfortunate. After Birds of Prey was Fantasy Island with 14 million. That was another debut, wasn't it? It was. It was a Blumhouse picture. It's got 9% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oof. 
Ain't Good heard of it. Ain't gonna see it. Don't want to see it. I've and never heard you say ain't that many times. Well, you ain't gonna hear it anymore. <laughs> Dang. The Photograph <laughs> is another debut. That was like a romance uh, one. Lakeith uh, Stanfield is the only actor I know that's associated with. Issa Rae is in that. Is it? Yes. Okay. <laughs> is it? Yes. Issa Rae is in there. Um, she's from Insecure on HBO, which you should watch. Anywho, that got $12 million in the three-day, $13 million in the four-day. Um, and it was a Valentine's. It was the most Valentine's Day m- movies of all the ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but didn't... I heard Sonic has some romantic parts. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Really? It's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> is it between humans or is it Sonic and somebody? You would have to ask Spencer to elaborate, but Does Jim I'm Carrey not lying when love? I say there's romantic parts. Apparently, Jim Carrey's amazing in that movie. I, yeah. I respect Jim Carrey. I wouldn't say that I love him though. But if he's the best part of Sonic, I don't know how I feel about that. You don't Joe like doesn't like Jim Carrey. He Jim. likes Jim Carrey as an actor, but Joe doesn't like him as a person. He doesn't think he's a good guy. But that's Joe's opinion. That's on Joe. Okay. Well, in Sonic, apparently he's good at acting. Well, he, I don't think he's ever been a bad actor. Well, but he's also been on like a hiatus recently, hasn't he? Like, he's not had many films come out. Well, also, yeah, I mean, yeah. he's been painting a lot. Oh, really? Is that true? I think his his um, his um most recent box office success was Dumb and Dumber oh. 2. That sounds... Yes. And that got, that like... Right. That would make sense. 20 million opening or something like that. So this is, I don't know, a return for him. I don't know, but we got way off track. Anyway, after the photograph is Bad Boys for Life with still hanging on with 13 million. Mm-hmm. Good for them. They're definitely killing it. Still haven't seen it, unfortunately. Yeah. we will. I'll, I'll probably watch it eventually. Maybe not in theaters. Mm-hmm. Maybe Nin- box it. 1917 is also hanging on with 8 mil for 3 day, 9 mil for 4 day. Nice. Nice indeed. Very nice. Jumanji has 6.7 million. How many weeks has it been in the top 10? It's been in there 10, 11, something like that. But look, it only had a 1% drop from the previous week. So it's got some legs on it. Impressive. They're probably going to make a Jumanji 3. Cool. Um, yeah, well, technically, this is Jumanji 3. Okay, don't <laughs> even. <laughs> um, but yeah, they most likely will. They haven't announced it yet. But I'm, I'd imagine they have, what, 770 million worldwide. So I think we can definitely expect a sequel to this one. Yeah. And after its best picture win, Parasite is back in the top 10, or first time in the top 10, with nice. 6.8 million. That is true. It, it was 19th week, first time in top 10, and it, because of the Oscar boost, it went up 245%. Which is crazy. From its previous week. So, yeah. And they're, oh, it's coming back in theaters like all across the States and in UK and stuff. So, if you have not seen it, please go see Parasite. Go do it. Do this it. This is your chance. It's worth it. That's or buy so cool. It. They really, like, wide released that in theaters. After, they, like... Regal and AMC usually take the Best Picture nominees and put them wide release so that everyone can see them in time for Oscars. That's so cool. Yeah. I'm so proud. Very cool. It is. So and if you want to see Ford v. Ferrari, you can. No one did. 
<laughs> we'll actually talk about them later on. But two films that no one's talking about anymore. Doolittle, which only got 5.9 million on the four day. And Downhill, which only got 5 million. And that was a debut. Such a bummer. Yeah, I though. haven't even heard of Downhill. It's a remake of Force Majeure, which I think is Swedish. It is. Yeah. And oh. I've seen Force Majeure. I didn't like that that much. Like, I thought it was good, but I didn't think it was great. It was a little slow. And I can't imagine the American remake starring Julie Louis-Dreyfus and Will Ferrell being that much better, Mm. which is why I didn't go. I was excited for it up until I watched Force Majeure, and I said, they can't make it better than this, and it's already not that good. (laughs) Like, artistically, it's good, but it was just really slow. Mm. I see. Well, good story, though. Very good story. We probably won't be speaking about that anymore. Yeah, it's probably going to drop off. Oh, well. Box office predictions, we have The Call of the Wild. That's the one with Harrison Ford and oh, Dog. No. You're saying 13 mil? Uh, Yeah, but it is a dog movie, so you never know. People love to go and see the dogs. But And it's been at least, well, maybe that's just because we've been in the movies a lot, and so seeing the trailers mm-hmm. before the movies. But it's got some pull. It's getting out there, but we'll see if that actually gets people in the theater. Yeah, I don't know. Also, Sonic and Birds of Prey are probably going to hold up near the top because Sonic is still doing well, and Birds of Prey might might do better, we hope. We hope, we hope. We hope, we hope. Yeah, we will see if that comes to fruition, though. And speaking of Birds of Prey, <laughs> it's time for our review, which is why we have Lillian here with us. I saw it. They all saw it. I made them see it. They saw it. This is true. We did see it. That did happen. All right, give me... As concisely as you can, what are your thoughts on this film? Give me your logline review. Good, not great. I can agree. Um, Spencer talked about it a little bit last show, and I think he was a little bit wrong on some things. Oh. He said it looked cheap, and I was like, it didn't look cheap. It just looked small. There was like a lot of the sets just felt a little empty. Like his apartment, he said, looked cheap. It didn't look cheap. It just looked empty. It wasn't filled enough, and when it was filled, it was weird stuff that you wouldn't see in an apartment. It's like a studio apartment for this rich guy. You really think a rich guy has a studio apartment? And then the club scene just felt small. It just, like, I don't think I've seen a club that's that small. It was tiny. It was like a stage and then, like, 15 tables and barely any room to dance. Where are you going to dance, guys? On the the table? table. Jinx. (laughs) We'll get to that, but... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I thought the one comparison I can make is, like, I I didn't dislike this movie. Yeah. I didn't, wasn't over the top about it. Uh-huh. I enjoyed it just because I went in going, like, this is going to be a B-movie type thing. Oh, yeah. Um, And so that's the same way I went into Venom. Definitely. And so I got the same enjoyment out of this film as I did in Venom because I'm like, this is just going to be some stupid, cool action scenes, but the story's not going to uh-huh. be logical. It's not going to make sense. I'm not going to get... You know, it's not going to be the epitome of cinema, as Scorsese would want to see in his films. So, so yeah, so that's the comparison I can make. Yeah, This is a Venom, because we were talking about... I think it's better than Venom. Is it a Deadpool type thing? It's certainly not on Deadpool's level. I feel like it's more on Venom's level. I think it's close to Deadpool than it is to Venom. Just because Venom was, like, so bad... (laughs) Okay. That it's hard to rewatch. I would rewatch Birds of Prey. I can't watch Venom again. It's just so... The dialogue is 
terrible. The story is terrible. The action scenes aren't even that good. The only good one is when he like crushes the canister of smoke so you can't see the monster. Yeah. Because then you can't see the monster. But the lobster the venom. scene. <laughs> there was, we were talking about how much did you laugh at Birds of Prey. I didn't laugh once as hard as I did at the stupid lobster scene in Venom. Well, that's just because it was stupid. I, well, yeah, but it was just. I didn't think Birds of Prey was that funny. Was it. No, it was, there was some times where I'm like, huh. But, but it was definitely trying to make, it felt like it was trying to do something that was like weird. Like, you won't see this coming. Let's throw in a, a brief dance number or let's throw in these weird graphics and stuff but then it just plays off as stupid had they like like because like they do the like the dance number that like has these weird cuts in it and then like cuts back after 15 seconds yeah it was very short and it was like so why did you i do wish it, it was i know it was like they were trying to be deep like let's get a look at her inner mind and how crazy it is but then like it only lasted like 12 seconds i wish you had just done a whole dance number that would have been more interesting to watch yeah, and apparently, I think they filmed more of that, or at least there that, that was all over the trailers. And I'm pretty sure if you watched one trailer, you would have seen that entire bit about her singing. Yeah, you would have seen the whole thing, which is sad because it looked pretty cool. Like I like the idea of that dance number. Mm-hmm. Lily, how has you've had a week to sit on it? Has your opinion changed at all? Um, I can see with the editing. I I. I conceded a little bit when Spencer mentioned it, but definitely I can see where the cuts maybe you shouldn't have cut there because we would have liked to see the follow through on that. But I still maintain that, yeah, some of the like the action scenes and the fight scenes, like the roller. um, Oh, spoilers. guys! No, you're fine. Don't care. (laughs) Spoilers, guys. Um, At the very end, there are times where I, I don't know. Part of me is like I can chalk that up to practical like. You couldn't see that. Like, I don't know how... No, I don't know how you would film this, but I understand that it's easier, and I get the point. So I wasn't hung up on those kind of details of... Because I saw so much of it. And again, I'll compare it to the, like, Marvel action cuts where you genuinely can't tell what's going on. There's a hand here and a gauntlet over there, and someone's flying and using a... Look, there's a beam of light, and you just genuinely can't tell what's going on. But I, I could tell there was enough continuous action that I didn't need that final punch because I understood that they had choreographed enough of it that I could fill in the blanks by myself and I didn't feel like anything was missing so I maintain yes I very much enjoyed it I think it was a very enjoyable film um I agree the writing isn't great I would say yeah b-movie like good not great Mm -hmm. I would agree that the fight scenes were good I think Spencer was a little bit reaching there with the editing. I like because I like went into it because I watched after he mentioned that stuff and I was like, well, I guess the editing's not gonna be that good. And I watched it and I was like, it's not that bad. Like, I've seen worse editing in fight scenes and the fight scenes were done really well. So I I very much enjoyed all the fight scenes and all the choreography. Dylan, the water scene, the water when they're in the prison. I couldn't tell you last time because I was trying not to spoil yeah. it for both of you. But the where the little girls locked up. And uh, Harley Quinn accidentally releases all of the prisoners, and the the sprinklers go off, and there's water. Did you not think that was cool? I thought that was I really thought that was cool. very cool. I thought the slow motion was cool. I thought I like the way they it. used the water was neat. I liked it a lot. Yeah, I thought that was awesome. I it adds the, texture to the, the the lighting. I thought the entire police station sequence was the strong points of the film, especially the action when she had that bad stuff and she went like underneath the dude's legs and then did some like wrestling move type thing. I was like, this is, this is crazy. This is good. Okay, first when she had the bat and she broke the guy's right leg and oh then broke God. his left leg <laughs> and then broke his left leg back. That was crazy. But the problem with the prison scene is that it's broken up because like 
she gets to a point and she yes. says, oh, crap, I forgot to mention this part. Like, literally that line, word for word. And then cuts back to earlier and then goes, like, up. And, I like, the non-sequential storytelling of it. It didn't work for this it, movie. I, again, I can see what they're doing. Like, oh, she's always jumbled. So she's, this is, like, us seeing how her mind works internally. But I was like, that in particular, where we cut away for, like, 50 minutes and then come back. I really thought when she had started that, that that was, like, a fantasy sequence, like, the musical number again. Because I'm like, this is absurd. She walks up to the cop, does that, and then the cop's, like, two feet away. Don't react at all. And then she comes in and does the same thing, and I'm like, is this, so we're just, this is her fantasizing right now? Um, but then it turned out to be real, and I was like, it looks very pretty. It looks very cool, but I was like, what? I didn't like the nonlinear storytelling, and I didn't like the narration either. Because when you use narration, you should use it for, like, if you're going to explain unimportant stuff, kind of like in Goodfellas, he uses the narration to explain like the things that don't matter while you watch the things that do matter so they, like, they contrast. But in here, she's just explaining what you're watching, which is unnecessary. Right. So I didn't like the narration. And then the nonlinear like, style, it was just done because they wanted to do something crazy and not for any particular reason, which you can feel through the movie. If they had told it as a linear story... Without any kind of narration, it would have been it wouldn't have been like as crazy maybe, and it would have been as like um, noticeable. Like the storytelling would have been as noticeable. It would have been more like a clear cut like origin story to the Birds of Prey, but it, I think it would have flowed better. Yeah, I think they could have kept the narration, could have kept some of the like flashbacks, but the fact that they went so hard into both of those and leaned on them so much to tell their story, it revealed how. You know, not great the writing was i didn't like her narration during the scene where you learn about huntress's backstory i also then then because i was like flash back there too and i was like we didn't need that like we got it like keep us in the moment with the emotions that i would have been happening. okay showing it once and then without narration because it would have been more serious but her narration made it silly but it's like these people are brutally murdering this entire I crime know. family i would rather it have been serious it would have put me more emotionally in connection with Huntress, I would have been like, well, that's terrible. I connect with her. No wonder she's doing these terrible things as the crossbow killer. Mm -hmm. Huntress. Did you think she was, in fact, super cool? Yeah, she was my favorite of the Birds of Prey. I also really? liked... Well, yeah, she's barely she in it. So, I know, which is unfortunate. But she was just so, like, awkward and weird. Yeah. Which is so I different from like every other, like, oh, she's a hardcore assassin. No, I really liked it. I thought... Maybe I just didn't like the way she performed it. It just felt... There was a lot of things in this movie that felt like you're trying to do something different, but in trying to do something different, you're really doing something that everyone else has done when trying to do something different. Like when um, Hart, like uh, Ewan McGregor is like about to kill Harley Quinn, and she's like, well, you're going to do this and this and this, and she like cuts him off. Every movie has done that for the last 10 years because every movie before that had the villain like explaining his plan. And so they were like, Let's do something quirky and weird and have the main character cut off the villain and explain what he's going to explain. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When you, at this point, it's come full circle. I would rather the villain just explain it because <laughs> it's no longer like it's no longer funny and it's no longer original. Yeah, let's talk about some of the actors and actresses in this film. First of all, Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. She's always great. Amazing, killed it, fantastic. She is. She does a great job with Harley Quinn. I think she's one of the stronger points of this movie. A hundred percent. She's always great. And then, of course, our boy, Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor. He was too much sometimes. Really? Well, because I think, again, we talked about in parts they wanted him to be like very disturbing. In other parts, they wanted him to be campy and 
kooky and he played them both well and it was interesting to watch i didn't mind the campiness my problem is when he had temper tantrums which was just unnecessary he would just like whine and complain that he and it was like too obvious it was like these are my things why can't i have my things why is my life so hard those are actual the lines where he was about he says. when he was about to put on the thing. No, he's like, mask. he's like, where's my diamond? And then he's like, Harley Quinn has the girl. And he's like, what? That diamond is my diamond. Why don't I have my diamond? It's my thing. I bought it. Give it to me. And he's just like crying and whining. And we're just watching him do this. And I'm like, why? 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 I see. Why? Again, and I think that points to the writing. Mm-hmm. That was not the great... And the writer was, I don't know if any of y'all saw the Bumblebee movie, but it was written by Christina Hodson. Which is Bumblebee? Yes, she wrote Bumblebee. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Have you, so you haven't seen no, it? No, not at all. Spencer saw it, I think. I'm not sure. Well, there you go. Apparently, I mean, Bumblebee was, compared to the other Transformers, it was more acclaimed critically, so. I mean, when you have John Cena. You're right. That was a, that was a plus. But anywho, going off of, do you have a comment on Ewan McGregor? Me? Yeah. Yeah, I, um, I, confession, I love Ewan McGregor. I love him. That's not I a confession, that's my just first, the truth. Um, we all love Ewan McGregor. Uh, oh, it's a collective truth? Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, I just, I just rewatched, sorry, <laughs> Done With Love, uh, which was my, my first interaction with Ewan McGregor. Um, and then I watched Moulin Rouge because I genuinely, I, I don't know. I have this problem with, with, with some, sometimes I take movies too seriously. So I was like, you McGregor, he's such a bad person. Like I genuinely, I hated him in this movie. And so I needed to watch things that made me not hate him because I know that it's not him. It's his character. But I genuinely, I didn't, not only did I not like the direction that they went with him, but I hated him as a person too. And I thought they could have definitely done it where you didn't. Like, I wanted a likable villain, and maybe that's just what I wanted and not what I got. Like, I feel like they were expectations trying... Expectations versus whatever. I feel like they were trying to toe the line between likable and dislikable. They are like, I want to be clear that he's the villain, but I want you to like him in a campy sort of way. Whereas I would have rather them just made him a character that you don't like, because that's who Roman Sionis, you know, Black Mask is. He, you, nobody likes him. Nobody likes him in the comics. He's just, like, a jerk who is rich and, like, does things only for himself. Like, he's selfish um he's like mean he just does things for himself he's not he wasn't supposed to be campy but i don't mind the campiness but when you take the campiness and you turn it into him just having temper tantrums it just it lessens the toughness which because like up until that point victor zaz has been doing everything for him mm-hmm. and he's just this rich he's like he's the guy with money who doesn't do anything and i think the club scene on the table changed that and i like that scene and i know you didn't like oh, that snap. scene. let's talk about that that was genuinely terrible. I was. It was terrible. I was not ready for it, and I wasn't ready, especially with how campy he is in, in like the beginning. I was not ready for it to be so like dark and that like especially like in this kind of movie that I was like, oh, it's a fun, it's fun, and it's girls and it's fun, and I I was like, I really that's your own bias walking. I into this genuinely movie. think they could have done that. I don't. I don't. Maybe they just didn't flesh his character out well enough and maybe that's what it all like boils down to but i really did not think that that scene was necessary i thought it was necessary because up until that point i was never really like taking roman siona seriously as a threat to me he was just this guy with money and he had victor's ass do everything for him and if victor's ass died then what's the point you know 
So why should I be scared of Black Mask? Why should I? Because like the scenery cuts the people's faces off is played for humor, which it didn't have to be, but it was. It was humorous, and he doesn't even do it. So like, but you didn't think that that was when when the little girl and she has a snot bubble, and he goes, "Cut her face off anyway. I don't care anymore." Yeah, he goes, "Ew, cut her face off." Like, I thought that was pretty. No, that was played for humor. It was absolutely definitely no. meant to be a laugh, which is terrible <laughs> because it just doesn't. It just doesn't work. But the club scene where he makes the girl get on the table and then ri- have the guy rip off her clothes, that is like, that's the Roman Sionis we should know. This guy who you just have to hate. And you don't want that because it's Ewan McGregor. And you're supposed to love Ewan McGregor, which we all do. You're supposed to. You're supposed to. <laughs> but he, you're not supposed to love this character. You're not supposed to. He's not a likable villain. He's not supposed to be a likable villain. So I think they should have omitted the face scene or at least made it not as funny. And I think they should have taken that club scene and put it a little bit earlier. I can concede that they should have picked a side more firmly on that. It was too in the middle. But I liked leaning more into the dark side than the light side for his character because he's the villain. And that's just who Black Mask is. Plus it was just a good scene to like, it was good character development for him. Very intense, and it makes you just immediately be like, okay, I don't like him for the rest of the movie. There's no way I can. No matter how campy he is for the rest of the movie, I won't forget this one scene. Mm. Interesting. What about some of the other, the Birds of Prey themselves, those actresses? We had Janice Millette-Bell as Black Canary, which you liked, Lily. I loved Black Canary. Definitely my favorite part. Yeah, she was great. More so than Margot Robbie, I think. Really? What? I thought, I mean, I love, I adore Margot Robbie, but I... Maybe it's just because her performance was a little more like subtle, and she, was, I felt, I felt like she was like the ground level of. But I'm just a person in the world trying to get by, but also I have some things I believe in, and one of those things is this little girl right here. I'm gonna cry. <laughs> I liked, I liked the idea of Rosie Perez as Renee Montoya. I just did not like the way they did that character, the dialogue, all of it. I really? liked the backstory. I liked, like. Her, the way she acted, it was good, but her dialogue was just bad. Like, they made a joke about that early on. She's like, she talks in these 80s cop cliches. And then you're like, haha, that's kind of funny. And then they make the dialogue even worse than that. Like, because they, like, she only has that sort of 80s cliche at the beginning and at the very end when they bring it back up. And then the rest of the movie, they're like, okay, well, we should take her seriously now. And they just give her bad dialogue. And it's terrible. It's hard for her to to play that. But She's I, such a good actress. I thought she was good in it, though. I thought she elevated the dialogue. Yeah, she did. What about, we already talked somewhat about it, but Mary Elizabeth Winstead as Huntress. She wasn't in it enough, and I don't think she's the right actress to play, like, quirky. Really? It felt like, because, like, you're watching her do all these, like, crazy, awesome scenes, and then it's like watching her play, um, what's the character? Scott Pilgrim versus the world. What's her character? Ramona Flowers. Ramona. It's like her playing Ramona Flowers again mm-hmm. when she's like not doing action scenes, but then they like amp it up to 10 with the awkwardness. And it's like, uh, it like worked in the beginning, but the more they did it, the less I liked it. Cause I was like, give mm-hmm. her some good, better dialogue other than her just being awkward. The more they did it, the more I liked it. I agree. I really, I really liked her. But there was just no character development for her other than her backstory. Like, up the, up until the point we actually meet her as a person to the end, which is, like, 20 minutes before the movies when we actually meet her character as a character, up until the end, there's no character development for her. She's just this person that's killing people, 
and now she knows these people and doesn't want to die, so she kills these other people. And there's no character development, other than the fact that her family got murdered when she was a child, which is just part of her backstory. So there's no character development in the movie itself. Fair. Although I don't think there's, I don't think this was great for character arcs in Not general. Really. Anyway. I agree. Harley Quinn's was good. Oh, love that. Yeah, breaking free. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I think Renee Montoya's was pretty good too. Yeah, I did like hers as well. What did you think of Victor's ass? Um, it's not my, it's not my favorite depiction of Victor's ass, but it's not the worst. How about the Gotham depiction though? Um, it just looks like New York for most of it. No, no, I meant Victor's ass in Gotham in the show. Oh, Gotham. <laughs> you I said you how's said it? Like... How's Gotham look? Well, that is a it's thing. A fair That's question. a thing. There's there's yeah. been some bad depictions of Gotham over the years. Agree. I think Batman Begins was actually pretty bad. What about the Dark Knight Rises though? That was just flat out New York. My mom hated that. She was like, "This is this, they're trying too hard to be New York. Look at this. It's li- it's literally New York." And how'd you feel about that? Did you like that? Did you not like that? It worked for the story because the story is trying to take Batman and place it in a world of realism. And that's why I didn't like Batman Begins because everything was so realistic about it except the depiction of Gotham as this gothic structure sort of city. Had you like taken it and done like 1980s Batman where it's like crazy like characters doing all these wacky things in this gothic structure city, it fits. But if you take these serious characters and you put it in the gothic structure, it doesn't work as well as like just take it and put them in New York. I can see that. Because you're trying to bring it in. That's what Christopher Nolan was trying to do, was trying to bring it into reality and like make it more realistic. That's why Bane isn't like this guy hopped up on drugs. He's just a really strong guy who's smart. Dylan, did you see um, the old Batman? I don't remember who was Batman, but it was the one who has um, Poison Ivy and Jack Nicholson as the George, Joker. Did uh, you see what? that one? That Those are two Batman. different movies. Are they really? Shoot. <laughs> The oh, one you know with what? Jack Nicholson is Michael Keaton as Batman, and then yes, the one the with Poison Ivy is girl. the one with George Clooney. Who's who's the actress in that one? The one with Jack um, Nicholson? I don't remember. It's someone famous. I can look it up. It's one of my favorite girls. But that one was good because... Anyway, I was trying to just... The Gotham in that one. What would y'all think? If you saw it. I don't the know 1980s it. one with Jack Nicholson? Yeah. I liked it for like the character. It was Kim Basinger. Yes. And she played Vicky Vale. Yes. But I like the depiction of Gotham in that one because it's this crazy, wacky like town that's like very dark and gothic. And then it goes with the wacky characters. The one with where he's hanging out of the building? What? In the middle of the day. He's hanging what? out of the office building in the middle of the day. What? What are you talking about? Anyway, I didn't really think Cassandra was that good of a pickpocket. <laughs> Me neither. Yeah, I thought that was some of the worst part of that. Like her, her little montage of just bro when she bumps out. into the lady with the purse to like steal something from her purse, and the lady just doesn't react. I know it's terrible. You should have at least had her like look around and then just like gone back to her business. And then also her stealing it from Zaz, like walking right in front of him. It was just it was absurd to see that happen. Like that whole scene was very odd and strange. What y'all think of the breakfast sandwich thing? I kind of liked that whole thing. I, thought that was I genuinely funny. laughed. I laughed a lot at this movie. I don't know why y'all didn't, but I, I thought it was really funny. And she said, "And that's when my life, everything had changed forever, because my breakfast sandwich Ugh. fell." She said, "Now it's personal." I thought that was really funny. Yeah, it was alright. Yeah, I thought it was alright. I thought it was thought an the- entertaining thing. I thought it was like it worked with the story. I was I was never adverse to the breakfast sandwich bit, mm-hmm. but. 
bro, when they were making it, I was like, ooh, that's some good, that's some chef. It made me want eggs. Yeah. yeah. Chef. Um, ben. Mm-hmm. Chef du toit. <laughs> but then we had also the police station scene, which I liked. What do y'all think of the fun house? That action sequence. The ending. Um, I like the action sequence within the fun house, but again, it felt kind of empty. Felt empty. I, it I felt a little that. bit dark too, like darkly lit and not as bright as you'd think it would be. When Spencer said like the movie wasn't very bright, I could see that, but I felt like that was done intentionally. Like Harley Quinn is the bright spots in this dark city. Like she's the thing that brings in the colors. So I could see that being intentional. I wasn't bothered by it, but the fun so the fun house should definitely have been more like neon colors, bright and crazy. But I like the the choreography of the fight scene with her on the rollerblades. And then my favorite joke is probably like. When did she have time for a shoe I change? I loved that. I thought it was so funny because I was I was thinking it two seconds before they said it, and the fact that they said it made it okay. It was really funny. It was sort of funny. I kind of chuckled at that. Yeah, I did not chuckle. What did I you did chuckle when she stabs Zaz one more time with the needle or whatever, <laughs> the tranquilizer. What did you guys think of? Wait, that was weird. Can we talk about Zaz for a little bit? I kind of uh, skipped yeah, over him. I'm really sorry, but I. I would agree, not my favorite depiction, but that's because I'm definitely partial to the Gotham depiction. I just think that man played it off so well. Um, but he okay, but that he actor right there, like... he's in Barry, and he's so funny. He's the funniest character in Barry, I swear. You guys have to watch Barry. Everybody watch Barry. Season three is coming out sometime in spring. Please watch Barry. I love Barry the person. No, no we're talking about Barry the show with Bill Hader. Please watch Barry. I love Bill Hader. Um, but I thought... I don't. I know that Victor's ass is supposed to be like crazy, but he was just like creepy. I thought I genuinely was not happy when. I mean, not happy, but like I was not excited to see him on screen for any reason. I think that was the point. He's supposed to be like this creepy guy who's like leering at all these people, and like it wasn't like serial killer creepy. It was just like he's a creepy dude. That's the thing is Victor's ass supposed to be a serial killer, and I never got that impression from this Victor's ass. Just him walking around the day wearing normal people clothes and just jamming as he walked down the street didn't give me the impression of this crazy serial killer who kills people and then marks on his own skin. And he had, like, a weird fascination with, like, Harley Quinn and um, Black Canary. Like, I thought, I don't, I don't know what that was supposed to be except to make us uncomfortable about males in general. And I didn't, I, again, did not need that. I feel that. You're already uncomfortable with males in general, am I right? Uh... We'll get to there. <laughs> what did you guys think about Roman Sionis' death? That was stupid. Why'd they do that? I liked it. Oh. I thought it was very funny. I thought it was a dumb... I mean, yeah, but again, they played it off for laughs, and now they can't bring him back. I don't really want to bring him back for a sequel. What? I agree. It's I would Ewan not McGregor, want to see McGregor, bro? I would I, not. It, just because it's Ewan no. McGregor, I don't it was care. It also just bad character. I mean... No, it was, was very He funny. was a temper tantrum misogynist, and that's and he's rich. And that's the extent of that man. Yeah. But I would have liked to have kept, of course, partial because of the actor, but Ewan McGregor around, and they could have had room for some development to make him an actual character instead of three different things that aren't very interesting. Again, it was the quickest and easiest way they could make us dislike them and make us root against him. Yeah, but I... I just liked his death. I thought it was great. I he, thought it was cute when Cassandra said the thing. I the, stole your ring, and the, then she, it's the grenade ring because I completely forgot that she took the grenade. I thought, I that thought was it cute. was 
unnecessary to cut back to her taking the grenade because I remembered that it was unnecessary because I remember her picking up the grenade and I was like, who's going to let this child just carry a grenade? And then she says, I stole your ring. And she has like the grenade pin. And then yeah. Ewan McGregor's scream is so funny. He goes, ah! <laughs> Mason said, he leaned over and said, they should use the Wilhelm scream. And I was like, it would have fit. I, I liked his death. I thought it was funny. But yeah. Moving on. What are some other moments, standout moments, good or bad, in this film? I, I, nothing really stood out that much. That's the problem. I really liked it when they're all when they're in the fun house and they're 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 roller skating, they're fighting. And okay, number one, choreography the 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 over the head here and the under the here and the duck over here and swing the kid over here. And then she gives her a hair tie. She said, "Yo, you need a hair tie." And she has a hair tie. That was real cute. Girls do that. And also, anyone with long hair, please do that. It's very nice. I Ryan, have do you need a hair tie? Two hair ties on my wrist right now. I might <laughs> eventually. You could use a hair tie now. Your hair's getting long. I could, yeah. Yeah. Hair tie? <laughs> no, I'm all right. I'm all right. What about that roller skate? You know, she's in the... Where going she's down the car? Yeah. I liked it. Going down 60 miles per hour in roller skates. I liked when she, like, got thrown in front of the car and they were, like, trying to push her down because that reminded me of Raiders of the Lost Ark a lot. And I love Raiders of the Lost Ark. She certainly should have died. She was she was going yeah. fast. The car was going fast, and not only did they run into each other, but she got slammed into a stationary wall of a van. That that was that one. I was like, oof, that oof. Yeah, you I were also thought it was not dumb. getting up. She went like whenever she was zipped by on the motorcycle thing, which I don't understand. She says she was like whip me, like, and then she didn't do anything to make that happen. That's how you whip someone in like when you're doing like the what is it called roller derby. Your tail behind someone, and then they like throw you forward because you have less wind resistance because you're behind them, and then they move quickly and you get launched forward. That's called whipping. It's in roller derbying, which you see her do earlier in the movie. So oh, I felt you see her back. do for good two seconds. I thought that was logical. Yeah, but it was logical. I was like, okay, she's done roller derbying, so it makes sense why she would say whip me, and then she whipped her. And in the process, since they're going 60 miles an hour, she had to dive off the bike. Right. But so, again, I'm saying that she would not have started going faster. And then she, when that's she how, reached, that's how it works. She, when she reached the thing, he said, "I understand placed, that that's how it works, but that's just not how it works, Dylan." <laughs> she reached the thing. <laughs> she put her hands on it, and she's not grabbing onto it, but she's still holding on, going at the same pace with them. And I was like, "What is?" I that love happening? when she flips into the car, though. That was really cool. That was cool. That was that a slow mo cool. shot? No, I don't uh, think so. But she just kicks it and then, like, grabs the wheel and then pushes them into the thing and then jumps off. Oh, you know what I wanted to talk about? When um, when Harley, she uses, like, her psychology degree that she has. And I remember I was talking to someone and they were like, yeah, there are some times where they retcon it. So she's just crazy. But I'm glad that in this one that she, like, had, like, had her doctorate and, like, used it. I don't know if you guys picked up on that. Well, yeah, she but- used it. But it was kind of obnoxious, like. It was just like a flyby info that was unnecessary and didn't seem at all like good dialogue. I mean, I really liked it when Cassandra's like, I don't have the diamond. I don't know where the diamond is. And and Harley goes, well, you're not looking at me. Like, you're not making eye contact. You're looking down. You're doing this. You're doing that. And so that's how I know you're lying. I thought that was like clever. That also sounds kind of like someone who thinks they know a little bit about psychology writing about psychology. It didn't seem, it did not sound like someone who knew what they were talking about psychology, talking about psychology. It was like, I've done minimal research on psychology. Here's a line about psychology. 
And what do you know about psychology, Dylan? Not much, but I know that that's not like psychology. You can't just like know a person's mm-hmm. lying just because of their signs. You can guess, but there's a lot of factors that go into lying more than just looking away and speaking uncomfortably. There are people who are like professional liars, and it takes more than just that. She's 12. Still. Dylan. You can't just like whip out a psychology degree and be like, okay, well, here's the facts about psychology that I quickly Googled. It just, it sounded like someone Googled it for five seconds and then copied and pasted into the script. Which well, is, I don't know that you have the authority to speak on this. But, I mean, I agree with him there, but I Thank agree you. with the intention that trying to use I her like background the would have been cool, but the way that it was done, the execution. It just, every time she talked about psychology, it sounded like someone Googled a psychology topic and then just copy and pasted without doing, without any kind of expertise or like any kind of actual research. It sounded like a Wikipedia page every time she talked about psychology, which is All not times. good. Three times. Really? What was the third one? She talked about it once when Black uh, Black Mask is like about to kill her, and she talked about it again when she's like, revenge never brings the catharsis we really think it will. <laughs> right. So three. Three bad dialogues, at least. I can appreciate the intent, which is my overall assessment of the entire movie. I think we all could. But unfortunately, the follow-through wasn't as good, and Birds of Prey is lacking at the box office and why is that why do we think that question it's it's set up to be one of those movies that does well right like a lot of these dc movies they're not as not very good like there's a lot of worse dc movies than birds of prey that have still done better at the box office so lillian what's all that about let's lead into that other half of this (laughs) show all right, so we're going to talk about some representation in film and how women do not get the representation that they deserve oftentimes. Um, so just to spit some facts at you, there has been five nominations that have for Best Director that have been women, and only one of them have ever won. And that's in, what, 92 Oscars? Was this our 92nd? 92nd, yep. And the winner year? was Catherine Bigelow for The Hurt Locker. And that she did. Which What was that film about, Dylan? It was about um, men in war. It was very testosterone and intense. <laughs> very extremely man movie, which is kind of weird. It was a little bit about toxic masculinity in the way that they present themselves in a wartime, but still, I don't know. Hmm. Um, spit some more numbers at you. So top grossing films that featured female protagonists did in fact rise. Um, it's actually at the recent historic high for like the last 20 years. Um, we were at 40%. 40% of top-grossing films featured female protagonists in 2019. Um, but also, women are more often, like, major characters than they have speaking roles. And that's, like, the standard. So we've got, for 2019, 37% of major characters were women, and only 34% of of, like, women in general had speaking roles. Which I think is crazy, because how can you call someone a major character and not have them speak? Um, That's not what that means. What? That's not what that means. It's comparing being a main character to just being a background character, as in, like, they just have a speaking role compared to an extra. There's extras who are in the background, people who have speaking roles that are supporting roles, and then people who are main characters. It's saying that there's more of a chance for women to be a main character than it is just to be a background character. So, like, if someone's going to make a movie featuring women, it's going to be a movie about women rather than just women being in the movie. 
So wouldn't that include major characters, though, when you assume that if you were, in fact, a major character, you would also have a speaking role? No, it's considering speaking roles as roles that are like. Uh Uh-huh. Let me look at this. (laughs) Well, what it brought to mind for me was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where Margot Robbie was Sharon Tate and she had like two lines in the whole movie. And you can say that that's like stylistic, but for it to be so common all of the time. Oh, I get what it's saying. It's saying that, yeah, 37% of major characters are women, but only 34% of all speaking roles are women. Thank you, Dylan. You're welcome. So as Sorry, I was saying... I had to saying, mansplain that to you. Uh-huh. That's exactly <laughs> what you did. I didn't really want to call you out on it, but... People, you have to call people out on stuff. I'm learning that. Um, But like I said, so you can have like a women a woman as a main character as like oh the 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 male leads love interest and literally not have them have any lines because they're just there to be like a figure instead of a character um which is a common complaint in a lot of things i think a uh, pretty face if you will yeah they're just there to would that be the pretty face problem further the man pain then i just made that up it's not an actual like term you just made that up and threw it in our script I mean, it is the pretty face problem. So, please explain the pretty what face I'm trying problem. to get at here is that very often women are cast because they look pretty and less, not less on their acting abilities, but before you get to, before a woman is often offered a chance, she has to first look the part, and so then you narrow it down to acting. But there are many people who. I feel don't get a chance and that's we can see that in the numbers because um like the average age of a female actress is in the 20s and 30s and the average male actor is in the 30s and 40s and there's really no reason for that especially considering women live longer than men true what do you think about that Dylan why is that why does that happen that men live longer <laughs> they live shorter no, than no, women no. <laughs> Because men are dumber and they, they, they die more easily. That, that wasn't my question. I meant, like, what is the root cause of that age difference? Yeah, which we have determined are beauty standards. And it's true. You look at, like, Sexiest Man Alive and all that, and they're, like, these 50-year-old dudes. Um, and there's a lot of talk about that, how they can still be considered beautiful then. But then, yet, society as a whole puts an expiration date on women's beauty, which is why you see it lean more towards and concentrate toward younger actresses in these roles, which, for obvious reasons, is not a good thing to have. And now it's almost become like a Hollywood standard, is that when you're casting a couple, the man should be older than the woman, unless the story requires that the woman be older than the man, which is an issue. Like, if there's just a couple in a movie and it doesn't like explicitly say what the characters ages are why would you cast a much older man there's no reason unless it's like what the story is like if like in phantom thread the reason that the story is what it is is that it's older older dana day lewis dating a younger woman that's like the point of the story but if it's not the point of the story then why are you doing it Mm. and i think it's interesting the graduate which has the reverse um that's also for the story yeah, but the actress is meant to be, like, decades older. And in reality, she's, like, five years older than the man, who's also, like, he was 30 or something, playing a fresh college student graduate. 
Yeah, I've noticed that a lot of older men are playing younger characters. But when you have, like, a young female character, it's played by young female actresses. Wow, is it that the young men look too young? What? <laughs> are they not good enough actors at that point in their career? Cast more young men. <laughs> we need roles. Yeah. Um, I think Silver Linings Playbook is a good... There's no reason that Bradley Cooper should be that much older than Jennifer Lawrence, right? There's no story reason for that? I haven't seen it, so I can't comment. You haven't seen it? Oh, I my. Seen it. That was very, very... What an acclaimed movie. I've um, heard. It's just things like that that are, again, typical in Hollywood. And things we should demand change. Um, if you want to talk behind the scenes, so we were talking in front of the scenes, um, women only make up 23% of, like, key roles um, in the top 500, the 500 top grossing films of 2019. Women were only 23% of them. So that includes, like, director, producer, sound, things like that. Um, and that gets the percentage gets even smaller if you only consider the top 250 or the top 100 it goes down to 21 20 percent and statistically that means that as you get to these more higher budget because usually when you have a higher budget you get a higher grossing movie that's usually how it translates sometimes it's doesn't get received well but if you're limiting it down to the more higher grossing movies those will usually have the higher budgets than the other ones so when you think about it these movies that are higher budget are the ones that are hiring less and less women behind the scenes. So that either means that the only way that a woman can actually get out there and make be more involved in the movie process is in independent films or, or and or, you know, people who are in charge of these big budget movies don't trust women to have these roles, which is just as bad. Yeah, and especially because they are such big budget and likely to be like the movies that get recognized at the awards ceremonies, stuff like that, the fact that they aren't hiring women is an issue and especially if you're given the budget and you're given that freedom to do like if you have that budget and you can do so much with it it's unfortunate that people aren't using that to further opportunities for women mm -hmm. and it's not like there's a shortage of female filmmakers out there hey yo as we discussed <laughs> a little bit earlier i saw some statistic that was saying that 50 percent of film school graduates are female that's crazy. And then when you go into like the very micro budget films of like a one million, whatever, it, the amount of women in charge of those go down to 18%. And then it goes down to 12% if you get into indie and then like the big studio films, it gets down to something like 5%, which I think was a couple years old. Yeah. Um, but yeah, which is insane. Why does it happen? Why don't people trust women? I, I don't know. I know. And it's not like... And it's all women. I think, Dylan, you and I talked about this a little bit, but intersectionality is, mm -hmm. the statistics are even worse. Not not just women, but women of color, uh, black women, Latinas, and Asian women. Um, so just throw out some more numbers at you. Black females who had speaking roles were made up 20% of the females in 2019. Um, and Latinas made up 5% and Asians made up 7 So that's like... Of all of the female roles, add that up for me real quick. What is that? 70% go to white women, which is, again, the same problem occurs in men. But when you think about how few opportunities women of color get, then you really, like, 
the numbers are so sad. Like, Hispanics made up, make up 20% of the U.S. population, and they're only 5% are featured in films. Um, what would you recommend to, like, initiate change in the industry? Because I know I hear a lot of people, like, mentioning quotas in that certain departments in, like, film industry should have quotas for, like, 50% men, 50% women, and then, like, maybe even more quotas about, like, race and ethnicity. What do you think? I think the problem is that like women of women and women of color are not given like the same opportunities. People don't approach them. They're not like maybe they don't have all of the privileges of their male counterparts and so they're not they don't get to be out there. People don't get to recognize them. And so I think if you if you are actively like you don't just look at the first five names that are thrown at you who are you know the five people who have connections like maybe if you go out there and search for people to work on your film you'll find that not all of them are male and white so you're suggesting more effort put into the hiring process in the film industry instead of just like picking the first white male name you see you go out (laughs) and you you start like finding more more people who could contribute better i mean i think the same works for talent in any case like if you are if you're looking for something new and original, go outside of those, you know, 10 people you know. And the if you are looking to, I don't know, be inclusive of all of, like, the constituency of the audience, you know, if you're looking to relate to them, you need to have people that they can relate to. That's a very good point. Um, speaking of, I just saw Crazy Rich Asians, which was, it did very well. Um, so 7% of the female roles in 2019 were Asian. And that was down from the 10% rise we had in 2018, which was likely due to Crazy Rich Asians. Um, and I, I saw that movie for Valentine's Day and I really liked it. Um, I thought it was definitely about female empowerment. And so I was on board and especially with like the cultural differences, I thought it was a really a really good film. Yeah, it's a good it's funny. Did you see it, Ryan? I did not. Dylan, you saw it, right? I saw it a long time ago, back when it came out. I haven't seen it since. Yeah. I mean and that did very well in the box office. So the, like <laughs> I wanna say if you if you build it they will come, but I don't I really don't understand why Birds of Prey did not do as well. I I think it has to come down to marketing most mostly just the period of the year where it came out um during the week oscar weekend where of course these oscar movies are going to get a big bump especially the weekend after they're going to get a big bump because of the awards they win and i think just having it at that time slot with a lower marketing budget and not as many big name actors like you've got ewan mcgregor and you've got uh, margot robbie and rosie perez which a lot of people know and then you got some smaller names in the supporting cast that you just don't recognize as much. And I think that I didn't see a lot of people going on talk shows and talking about the movie either. So there was not a lot of promotion. So I don't know. There was just a lot of factors. And that comes down to producers. That's the producer's job. Producers and the marketing team. So it's up to them to really get the word out there. So, so why do I don't you think that's about. movies like Ghostbusters or Ocean's 8 failed? I think they had a lot of buzz. Charlie's Angels that just came out not too long ago. Why? That might Do you think come... it was just the remake bit of it? It might be the remake, and people would rather see more original stories about like 
team ups of women like Birds of Prey, but even that didn't do so well. So I don't really know because Birds people... of Prey is, is, is not a remake or anything. It's it's not like original. It came from comics, but I would think people would want to see this because it's like a pretty popular comic idea. I just have to point out that remakes have statistically been the most profitable of Hollywood's movies. Like if you look at the top ten of this last year, most of them are remakes. So I don't do you, like well not remakes, is it just but the like women angle? continuing the franchises. That too. But I mean like Aladdin, which got a billion dollars, and yes it's Disney, but the Ghostbusters was very like the franchise itself was very successful. I don't I loved Ocean's 11, 12, 13. Did you see the new Ocean's, Ocean's 8? I did, and I saw it in theaters. Did you like it? I did, actually. I mm. did. And the crazy thing is that, so you're talking about, like, maybe it's the big name with Birds of Prey. There were tons of famous people in Ocean's 8 alone, let alone, yeah. like, Charlie's Angels and Ghostbusters. I don't, it's crazy, crazy. I don't know, go out there and watch your watch your movies, support them. But I do, I do want to bring up something that has been discussed in the Twitterverse, on yeah. social media and all that, is that Ford v. Ferrari, which you mentioned earlier, which came out last year, had a 31 million opening. And it was, and I think that also is on like a 90-ish million budget. And that was praised as a success. Everyone's like, oh, they raced into the top 10 or whatever, number one spot, that sort of thing. Whereas Birds of Prey, with 33 million, <laughs> is immediately characterized as a box office bomb. And of course, you got taken to context the fact that it's a comic book movie, so it should, I mean, in comparison with the other films that are nearby it, like the lowest grossing Marvel film, um, beside, like MCU film, besides The Incredible Hulk, because I don't really count, that was before <laughs> they got the stride, is Ant-Man with 500 million worldwide. And for DCU, it's Shazam with 344 million or something like that. And this film is currently sitting at 145 million worldwide. And it's in its second weekend, so, I mean, most of it's front-loaded. Pictures are always front-loaded. So, unless it has uh, Jumanji-type legs where it can stay in the top ten for a long time, it's not really going to surpass 250, which is really where they need to be to start making profit. Because you have to take into account the advertising. So, make it, so say that's another 80 million on top. But then also, they have to pay back the theaters... So every dollar they get after that, fifty percent goes to the theaters. Yeah. So the getting making a profit from Birds of Prey is not likely going to happen, or not likely going to be very big to incentivize a sequel. Which again is upsetting because then that reinforces the notion that oh, people don't want to see women-led films, which is not the case. But when you have films like these, which have that sort of pressure put on it to be that feminist benchmark, when they do fail. And when it's all the discussion about it is about it failing, it reinforces that notion, unfortunately. Thanks. So the discussion about us saying that it failed. I can see how you think, like, the because the expectations were so high and collectively, because it won't make a, like, we won't make a profit, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but I mean, we literally had another, it wasn't an ensemble, but we had a DC female superhero in Wonder Woman, and Wonder Woman did so well. What what was the difference there? I don't know, because I didn't think Birds of Prey was that bad compared to some of these movies like Thor the Dark World. <laughs> if Ant-Man made $500 million and that was the least, that means Thor the Dark World made more than that, and that movie was terrible. It was certainly much worse than Birds of Prey. 
So I don't know how Birds of Prey is doing this poorly. Like superhero movies usually get a cash. Do you think this means that maybe there's um after Endgame, like Marvel starting to wind down? Do you think there's going to be um a decrease in attendance at the box office for superhero movies? Do you think that fad is starting to work its way out? Which unfortunately will be tested with Black Widow and the Wonder Woman sequel, which are right. both female led films. That's so true. if that is the case that it's superhero fatigue, it'll be characterized as fatigue of watching female-led films, which, again, is... A mischaracterization. Upsetting. Correct, yeah. So that won't be good. No, but, and then also The Eternals, which is the other major film coming out, is directed by a woman as well. Yeah. And is it's a very diverse ensemble cast, mm-hmm. um, but it isn't, like, female-only. So, again, we'll have to see how those films turn out. But it is very interesting to see how Captain Marvel, of course, although I think that was co-directed... By a woman, um, and Wonder yeah. Woman with Pat- Patty Jenkins, it did very well. Incredible, financially, yeah. But then you have Charlie's Angels, which obviously is not as big a property as Wonder Woman, but it is a known IP, and yet, and it had some name recognition with some of the actors, but it only got eight million in its opening, and it's sitting at forty-eight million total. Oh wait, well, forty-eight million was its budget, seventy yeah. million total. Which means with marketing, they did not they did not get a profit on that. Yeah, I know. I feel the same way about like Bombshell. Of I thought it was a good movie, not great, but like I thought it was good, and it also didn't do very well. I don't. I don't know. I really don't. I mean, I do and I don't. Yeah, there's probably a lot of bias and misogyny coming from a certain chunk of viewership that says I don't want to watch this movie because of the women involved which is takes a portion of the profits away which is unfortunate and that's what I was thinking about Wonder Woman is that Wonder Woman I don't y'all saw it right you had to um well yeah of course like yes Wonder Woman is the title character yes she's the main character but I thought that her co-star had like he had a lot of screen time and a lot of the like characterization Chris Pine he like he got a lot of that that women in the same position if like if the roles were reversed and that was like the male hero's Robert female love interest Gwyneth, Gwyneth Paltrow for example yeah like i don't he genuinely sacrificed himself to save the world and he was given that like oh he did a good thing what a good guy and i don't think the same has been i don't think you can say the same for a movie where the roles have been reversed that it has been taken that same way it's always the man who has to sacrifice himself why though i don't know why somebody write a movie please (laughs) please help us it might be some people might take it in the wrong way like of all people why did the woman have to die like if a woman sacrifices herself like if if there's a movie where you have the male hero and like he has a love interest woman and then the woman has to die to save the day it might be taken adversely that way too. Like, why I mean, would the woman? I mean, but the fact is die? that the woman made the decision. You didn't. You felt. But for if they Chris made Pine. that movie, the woman wouldn't be the one. Like, she'd be making the decision, but it wouldn't be characterized that way. It would be like the hero let her die. Yeah, he had to sacrifice the. And that's that goes back to the thing of like women as major characters versus women in like speaking roles or important like being the protagonist is. A different I always think of like the James Bond women in that you're either going to 
sleep with James Bond or die. And that's how it was for like 30 years. And then they started incorporating more women. How many female Bond villains have there been? I know at least one, but I can't name any more than that one. Can't help you. It's Yeah, I could only think of that one, that same one. It's unfortunate. Also, their names are really bad, at least in the earlier movies. <laughs> <laughs> their names, I I can't say it on the live air. Uh, but okay, get us better names. The add that to the demands. The love interest in Goldfinger, go look up her name. It's bad. The character's name is bad. I'll tell you guys after the show. I can't <laughs> I can't say it. In, in polite company. Yeah, we're not an explicit <laughs> show, so I can't say That's it. That's terrible. It is terrible. But yeah, there has been... I do want to see what your guys' thoughts are on female-driven. Like, Birds of Prey was very clearly aware of, yes, we are female ensemble, our director, our writer, and I believe some of the producers were female. So how do you think it handled those moments where it called attention? Like the hair tie thing, which was a very small, minuscule thing, but like that's something that a male director would not have put in or a male writer wouldn't have put in just because that doesn't happen with them. Um, so do you feel like moments, and I guess I'm comparing this to Endgame when they had that moment where everyone crowded around Captain Marvel when she was holding on to the thing. Mm-hmm. And there's a very clear message of like women banding together, mm-hmm. but it's very in your face and not subtle in the slightest. And some people were rubbed the wrong way by that because they – who knows what their thought process is, but they're like, what the heck? This took away, why, why do we need this? It did sort of feel like that scene was written and directed by men, which it was. It sort of felt like them saying, let's let's try and be more inclusive, which isn't the word. It's not bad. Like, I liked the scene. I thought it, like, played well when it comes to representation. I hear I heard a lot of people, like, cheering during that scene when mm-hmm. we first watched it. I mean, it was cool. It was awesome. You had the music in the back. You're yeah. like, yeah, this yeah is awesome. I liked it. I liked it a lot, but I could tell that it was made by men. Yeah, and it's retrospective, like, cookie points for themselves. Yes. Because they had only just had a movie um, featuring a female superhero, and now they're, like, doing this and, like, see, we were this way all along. And it's like, no, you were not. <laughs> it sort of felt like the men patting themselves on the back. Yeah, so how would you, how did you guys feel about something like that in Birds of Prey? Like when they finally got together and teamed up, it wasn't just for a random, like, haha, yeah, we're women, we're banding together. It was necessitated by the plot and their characterization and them coming together to survive instead of just empty, like, points for representation. Um,. I think a lot of problems can be solved if you write women as people who have, you know, motivations and flaws like everybody else. And I think I think the fact is that because you don't get like. I think quite often. Female characters are not written well, like there's just not Mm -hmm. as much thought put into them. And so you don't you just don't see them like on the same level as you see like your your main characters who are often not female. Um, and so when you, like, it's genuinely, I think it's the writing of, is is there a motivation for this? And why why is this person who happens to be a woman doing this? Um, and I, I re- honestly, I don't know how I feel about the Endgame one. Because about that, I feel kind of the same that I do about those movies where they have, a two actually it happened in birds of prey um 
where okay i guess they redeem themselves a little bit um but when you're doing when harley was doing her little cartoon over um or it was animated and she was talking over it and she goes oh i had broke up with this person and this person and this woman and it's just like half a second of oh look she had a female lover at one point in her life and i think they did do it with with um what is her name? Rosie Perez. Renee Montoya. Character. Yes. That was a relation. They could have gone into it a little bit more. Um, it seemed a little bit like on the surface for brownie points. But I, because I, I think in the comics, the character is gay. So yes. I'm yeah. like, they recognized it without it being like in your face so much that you're like, oh. But I mean, that had a point to the plot. Yeah, absolutely. Of, of she was the she's a district attorney and I'm the prosecutor or whatever um like that there was just like like you could have been that could have been anyone and it doesn't you just treat them like people bro treat everybody like a person um i so i'm trying to think of another that... film like at the end of star wars where there's just half a second of oh my gosh two girls are kissing oh yeah but it could easily be cut out for and the it for foreign audiences yeah yeah i that bothers me i I they... appreciate that it's included at all, but the fact that it's not more integral important... to the plot, yeah. like like Renee Montoya's. Well, I don't. Character. I don't think that's integral to the plot because had that been just a friend, say or that, a man, say that Harley Quinn didn't say this is her ex-wife or ex, just ex, whichever it was. Yeah. Um, if she didn't say that in the voiceover, would you have known? And the answer for me is no, because they could have just been friends, like old friends that knew each other, and then that that happens. Or they could have just made the character a man and said it's still her ex, and then you still wouldn't have really bad an eye. So it's it's more like she didn't have to be a gay woman. They just chose to do it because that's what the character was written as originally, and it just it works for her character. Right. She that's just who she is as a person. You don't have it. It really had nothing to do with the plot. Her being gay had nothing to do with the plot. Her relationship had to do with the plot, which is what's more important. That's what I'm saying, Dylan. Yes, I agree. Instead of a split second female female kiss, it was patting themselves on the back because they included part of the story at least. I can see what you're saying, Ryan. Of yeah, well, that was just me bringing up because I had read something where they were talking because there's also people are talking about like the sexual tension between Roman and Zaz. I also felt that, which I agree, and there's something to be said there. But then they're also saying like, well, why didn't they make it explicit? But that goes to the point of making that explicit because sometimes i mean if zaz were a woman or whatever and that and the relationship was unchanged and there was that sexual tension bubbling below the surface like we would also have not bad an eye but because they're both males and it's a possibility for a gay representation because they didn't go explicit with it we're like oh did they really do it did they really represent it but it's like you don't want to make somebody some one little aspect of somebody's identity which could be their orientation make that the whole focal point of their character. So I just thought that was an interesting thing to bring up because you're right. It wasn't like crazy integral to the plot, but it was still showcasing representation as it happens in real life because they don't like everything did not hinge on whether or not they were dating each other because they were in a same sex relationship. So I guess that was just me bringing up active representation versus when it's present Mm -hmm. And how there's there seems to be this perceived pressure of it has to be active all the time and be a focal point, which if we're making strides for it to be more equal and be more normal as it is in real life, 
then it doesn't need to be active 100% of the time and a focal point that they always have to deal with. Yeah, I completely agree. Cool. Cool indeed. We moving on to our movie of the week, Dylan? Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. We can. Our movie. <laughs> Do you want to say something? No, I got. I got you want to say something? Just hire more women. There's no reason not to. Hire like more women of color. The Eternals. There's Move along. No reason not to. Go see to. them. And if go women, see them, yeah. Go, see go them. make stories. Make the opportunities. Um, Ryan. <laughs> Men, give us the opportunities it's, as well, please. Yeah, it's not the fact that the women aren't coming up with the opportunities. It's the fact that they're not given that opportunity. The, I agree. You can't I'm make not, your own opportunities down, harder calm, than that. Dylan, Dylan, Dylan. You don't need to fight everything. I'm saying, yes, understood. There needs to be hiring, but you also need to understand that if we're just saying, hey, please do this, that's not going to happen, which is why there needs to, yes, be more vocalization and mm-hmm. saying, hey, give us the opportunity to make these points. But then also there are ways and opportunities to give some of that agency to yourself and force their hand, which is what I was calling for. I'm not saying mm-hmm. that it's women's fault that they're not being represented. I understand. We're born knowing we have to well, work okay, harder. Okay, good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> We're just, we got to work hard, ladies. Don't give up. Don't give up. Anyway, movie of the week. Our movie of the week <laughs> is Funny Girl. Which I think only you've seen, Lillian. What? You guys didn't see Funny Girl? I haven't seen Funny Girl. Don't I really thought you did. Well, well I'll let you pop off about it. I will pop off. Um, so Funny Girl, back in 1968, Willie Wilder. Billy Wi- William Billy Wilder. Wilder. Yes. Billy Wilder is someone different. He directed, really? Yes, Billy Wilder do? directed Witness for the Prosecution and The Apartment, I think. Well, William let me tell Wyler you what else. Willie, Billy Wilder directed. William he directed Ben Hur. He directed Wuthering Heights. He directed Best Years of Our Lives, and he also did Funny Girl, um, which is starring Barbara Streisand in her first film, I believe. Um, she was on Broadway. She did. She did this exact. So Funny Girl is adapted from the play, the musical, the play, on Broadway, and. And Billy Wilder saw her and went, please make a movie with me. And she did. And she was amazing. And it was genuinely, I loved it. I genuinely, I loved Funny Girl. Um, which is crazy because, I mean, not crazy, but I expected it to be not as good as it was. But I genuinely, I enjoyed it very much. And rightly so, because Barbara Streisand won an Oscar for Best, best Actress that year. Um, as did Katherine Hepburn. She also, they tied that year. The only year to ever <laughs> tie, which is crazy. I never, I didn't think about that. But I guess with so many people voting, you wouldn't expect the numbers to be like exactly even mm-hmm. between all the candidates. But I thought that was fun. Um, but anyway, the movie itself, you should watch it if you haven't. I don't really want to spoil the whole thing. Um, but it's a musical, but it's not, it's kind of a self-aware musical. And it's we're, it's relevant this week because Barbara Streisand is she's deemed Hollywood ugly and I genuinely do not think she's ugly which is part of the part of the like super high beauty standards of Hollywood especially back then um but the premise of the movie is that this girl isn't pretty um but she's funny and she makes it in the world being funny and not pretty which like Wow, you can do that. That's a thing that can happen. Um, and again, I think she's so pretty. I think she's genuinely so pretty. Um, but in the story, she's like not supposed to be. 
and not that you can't be both because i think that's definitely like a problematic part is that she is so hard on herself for like i am not pretty and as a proponent of self-love i think you should all think that you are pretty because you are pretty thank you you're very welcome brother Anyway, I think it's an important movie because she makes her own decisions. She lives her own life on her own rules. And there's a bit in it where her husband, he's not doing as well as she is. And so there's a, there, you, can, you can watch it and look at the toxic, toxic masculinity that exists. And all right, maybe, maybe Barbara Streisand didn't do exactly the right thing she should have done. But that man went to jail because he couldn't handle his wife being more successful. And all I got to say is, women, you deserve better. You deserve better than what you got. All right. Well, that's all the time we have today. If you would like to give your thoughts on the show or make a suggestion for the movie of the week, you can email us at theboxofficeshow at gmail.com. Our main title theme for the show is Sundown by Joseph McDade. Our producer is James Poole, and our script editor is Lillian Snyder, who is also our guest today. Thank you, Lillian. Hey, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Always have you on. Mm Mm-hmm. And be sure to tune in next week. Have a great rest of your day and go see Birds of Prey. Go see Please. Birds of Prey. I'll see it with you. <laughs> Email the box office show at gmail.com if you want to watch Birds of Prey with Lillian. Bet. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Have a good day.